Hey, Dirk. Joel. Whoops. Uh, you go ahead, buddy. No, no, you should. Dirk, please, after you, we need to let the audience know that we aren't the bumbling bozos we play on the show. Bumbling bozos? I think you're selling Hitchcock and Scully a little short. We pretty much run the 9-9. Seniority rules. You know what? You're right. We do run that place. That's right, buddy. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Kevin. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about the most recent season, specifically the finale titled Suicide Squad, as well as the series as a whole and its reception and impact in television and pop culture. With me are writers Paul Welsh and Madeline Walter, co-creator and executive producer Dan Gore, and Joe Latrulio, who plays Charles Boyle. Paul, Madeline, Dan, and Joe, welcome. Now, Paul and Madeline, you two are a writing duo. How does that differ from other people in the writer's room? Um, in that for the majority of season six, we were the only one. And I think we may be the first team that the, that the, the show's history had. Of the show, you were the first team yeah. that we ever hired. And writing teams are a very specific designated thing by the WGA. It's mm-hmm. not just an informal uh, appellation that we've thrown about. They're not like, <laughs> they're buddies. Right. Yeah. I mean, they are buddies. Sure. We are buddies, Is it yeah. safe to say you're yeah. buddies? Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah. Is it oh, yeah. an equal friendship or does Paul like Madeline more or vice versa? Do you think? Oh, that's a great question. I think it's an equal. I think it's equal. Yeah. 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 Paul is furiously winking. <laughs> I've never seen someone's fingers more crossed. I, it's I very definitely equally. an equal friendship, but I do feel like I um, uh, copy Paul more, like almost like little sister style. Like he like would always wear, like he's, I don't know, you wear a lot of Patagonia. And then I mm. was like, after like we've been working together for years and years, like last year I was like, I think I need to get a Patagonia. That's and then it. all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have fully copied you. Now we look and now, the same and dress the same. Uh, and that is, I would say my, like that, uh, that feels like my fault. <laughs> There's no fault in it. <laughs> I understand completely. <laughs> but it is interesting, like on a, with a team, they, we believe, actually no one's ever elucidated the rules for us, but we believe they always have to be given the same task and in the same room. So for instance, we might have a room that is rewriting a story and we might have a room that is breaking a new story and we might have writers who are on set and Paul and Madeline are both great. And it would, sometimes it'd be nice to say like, hey, Paul, you should be in the story room. Madeline, you should be on set or something like that. But right. that is verboten, as the Germans say. It's forbidden. Most yes, of the WJ rules are in German. Yeah. <laughs> we, we function as one person, essentially. In the room. Yeah, what you don't know is if you separated us, we'd both disappear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you meet? We're cursed. Uh, um, at, UCB. at UCB. The yeah. Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, here or in Los Angeles or in New York? In Los Angeles. We got put on the same Herald team and everyone at UCB. That's an improv team. Uh, oh, an yeah. improv team that the theater puts together. And everyone at that time looked a little bit similar. And so we got on a team and everyone, uh, like when we, we would do a lot of scenes together. And so we look a little less like comedians than we do people who will sell you a condo. Yeah. Um, and so people were, we were always kind of doing stuff together for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Paul and Madeline, you are also actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, which do you prefer? Oh. Madeline. Oh, should I? Oh, you're saying as actors, I thought you meant which of the two of them do I prefer as writers. I, my, not, I totally not cool. jumped the gun. But I thought, truthful. Planting the no. seed. Would, would you? Well, this is very awkward because I am their writing boss. So for you to ask them which they prefer, if they both said, I'm aware acting, of what I'm doing. They're, they're, let me, first let me, let me just say they're wonderful writers. Mm-hmm. 
and also wonderful actors. I'm more familiar with them as writers. So, mm. I mean, oh, you should cast them. Uh, we were both in yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Madeline less so, right? Because that was more like a gift was kind a of gift. thing. She yeah. was a very funny gift. Yeah. She was uh, in the Durrells in Corfu. She was the what was the name of the? I'll, I don't. I'll, I'm guessing a lot. Eliza Durrell. Yeah, mm-hmm. or it's Durrell, right? Durrell? That's what we found. The out. lady, the mom, the, the right. I don't know. And Paul played, was that this season has yet to air, oh, right? Yes. That's okay, we can talk. Paul yes. played a- um, Episode three. Yeah, he plays a um, an HR type yes. person. Annoying. Annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like Madeline's, I feel like Paul could come back. He's in the world. And uh-huh. I feel like Madeline's role doesn't disqualify her from coming back. I think like no I one would recognize you as needs to be as. She'll have to come back in really period clothing. You're yeah. a real, real Yeah, I, I feel a lot of integrity. She's spoken to yeah. me about this. A lot. <laughs> so one thing that happens that I think is interesting and is that when we do um, table reads, mm-hmm. so a table read is where um, we have a script and it's usually done on the Wednesday. This is kind of last minute for a TV show, but it's just our system. The Wednesday before the Monday um, when we start shooting the script, we do a table read. And basically there's a table and all of the actors sit around the table um, and so does the director and uh, I sit there, um, and some of the network executives and studio executives. And then there's a small audience of department heads and all the writers, and we read the script. And it's really to hear how how jokes play, but also to hear how the story sounds. Sometimes you get so compartmentalized, as you, you get such tunnel vision as you're writing it, you don't really see the larger picture, and it's very helpful to us. And we make a lot of changes after table reads. We punch stuff up, sometimes we'll throw out a story, very rarely at this point, but sometimes we'll throw out a story and make it better. Um, and for our guest actors, it's very rare that we have the actors there. And so we, our writers um, will read those parts. And it's been very, it's been wonderful having Paul and Madeline because they're such funny, such, such funny uh, actors. And the tough thing is sometimes they'll read a part and be better than whomever we cast. Ooh. And that makes it very difficult because it's like, oh, that part seemed funny, but no, it was just that Paul was really funny. Or they're Madeline. both looking right now, like, oh. sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we're, both, we're playing to a hometown crowd too. Yes, like, where totally. the writers will give a generous laugh to another writer. Yeah, yeah. but the like, writers, you guys, yeah. the writers, I feel always pretty strong when they're filling in on mm-hmm. on roles. Like yeah. I found, they're really like. Well, they know the. I mean, they know the jokes. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like they they are intimate with the script. I mean, take that to mean what you will. Yeah. <laughs> It's disgusting. Um, the writer's but room is it's a part disgusting. Of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets five minutes in heaven yeah. with, the, yeah. with the script. But yeah. not everybody can do it. I have plenty of writer Trust friends me. that it's so, like when oh. somebody doesn't show up and they're like, uh, I'll, I'll rate it. And we get a page in and you're like, we got to stop. Oh, yeah. no. like, you're ruining your own <laughs> material. Yeah. No, it's really true. Yeah. And also there are funny people who are very funny writers, funny performers who are not great at Table reads. Table mm-hmm. reads. Mm-hmm. Uh, table read is a very specific talent. It's, it's a live performance. Yeah, it's yeah. a live performance, and it's also a bit like for those people who are into music, it's a little bit like sight reading. So it's it's like you don't have time to work on it at mm-hmm. all, even if you got it earlier that day, and you're reading it off the page. And there's some people who just aren't great readers who are wonderful actors and performers. And we have a lot of on staff, a lot of per- people who come from UCB and who come from a live performance Operators background, so it helps. Yeah. Like I think that helps a lot because yeah. you're used to performing live improv and sketch. Yeah. yeah. But the other question, and I'm I'm actually curious to hear what Joe's That's reaction right. to this is. When sometimes uh, Andre might not be there, or Terry might not be there, or or 
or like Rosa won't be, uh, Stephanie won't be there. And we'll have an actor, one of our writers fill in. And the question we always get is, do I do an impression of mm. them? Do I do an Andre or do I just kind of do what I think the joke is funniest as, but not Andre? I, I always like them giving a suggestion of the mm. sound. And it's more about the, the pacing rather than the actual uh, uh, impression of the voice, if that makes any sense, because yeah. that often helps with the timing of the joke. But, um, you know, if they could do a good impression, sure, you know. Let's talk about the Suicide Squad. Mm. Um, this is a season finale episode, so there are overarching plot lines that you have to, uh, I guess, cliffhang probably, and also things that you want to, loops you probably want to close. It's also a very... Um, uh, plot-heavy episode in the sense that it's sort of a heist, right? Like there are there are misdirects and there are um, there's planning and all that stuff. How do you go about breaking an episode uh, like Suicide Squad? Um, it it was a it was a difficult episode to break. Yeah. Uh, I think that we started sort of with the idea that it would be fun, and we'd had this idea for a while to bring back to have a Suicide Squad, to have Jake and Holt and the squad need to rely on their worst enemies. <laughs> I mean, there were variations also where we also wanted to have um, uh, Pimento and the Pontiac Bandit, but then we were like, they're not actually enemies, but they seemed like fun people to add. So sure. the first step was sort of figuring out who the Suicide Squad would would be comprised of. And secondly, it was figuring out sort of a story that would require them. And it was a two-episode arc um, and we, you know, it was clear that Wunsch, Wunsch had always been Andre's, uh, sorry, uh, Raymond's, Raymond, Raymond's <laughs> nemesis. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we, and we hadn't, and, and Kira's amazing. Kira Cedric? Yeah, Kira Cedric is amazing. She actually directed an episode in the in this current yeah. season. Yeah, is that true? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. we got to work with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so she was cool. So That's she kind was of amazing. Terrific. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was great. Awesome. Yeah. She was so great. Um, and then uh, the Vulture, who I think the Vulture was the second or third or fourth episode we did. So he's been there really from Dean the Winters as Dean the Vulture Winters as the Vulture. Yeah. Um, one of our favorite characters. And then there were they've had so many enemies. They've really been cursed. Yeah. But we wanted a one of a, a person whom we knew would be super funny and also. Uh, somebody who brought a different energy than Madeline and uh, and the Vulture, and it, immediately everyone was like, "Oh, CJ," because Ken Marino is just so He's funny. The best, Joe. You've known him forever. For a long time, we went to uh, NYU together, and you know, with Ken, besides being just such a generous. Uh, guy he's he he's a funny guy but really understands production well he's a great writer a terrific director and so it's great to have a personality like that on set and um he's just such a goofball and uh, you know it's a pleasure to work with him you have a you know we have a shorthand already um and um dan and andy and the whole show has been such a fan of his from the get-go so it's it was great to have him on board again um it was also yeah. really helpful because he really he really came up with a lot of stuff on set. And he, as Joe was saying, he really understood the, just the way things, he understands the way things work. So if a scene doesn't really have the right out or whatever, he would take it upon himself to sort of come up with a new blow or what, and it was great. They, yeah. And we used a lot of the stuff he came up with. I find him hilariously funny. Yes. Like, um, 
you cut to him at one point and he's curled up in a dangling sphere chair. Yes. (laughs) Well, that was, we went to scout that location and that chair existed. No and way. then we were like, oh, it, I was like, it would be very funny to have that in the background yeah. of a very serious conversation with him. Originally, he was going to be spinning around mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And I think it, <laughs> I think it was better with him just sitting there. Um, when everybody turns to him of like, that's the dude sh- that should get kidnapped, he's <laughs> yeah. like, wait, is this my meeting? Dismissed. Dismissed. <laughs> like, it's such a punt of, from yeah. authority. Like, it's yeah. such a, like, I don't, hot, hot potato, hot potato. Yeah. Like, so it's funny. so funny. That was such a hard scene to shoot because. Andy had like eight pages of nonstop dialogue. Right. And then we had to, because we did a thing, we, we, under, this was a very clever thing I think Luke came up with where there was, um, Luke Tachatachi, uh, executive producer on the show, where there was um, a lot of exposition to get across. And so what we ended up doing was a thing we'd never done before where the telling of the exposition, the plan, the telling of the plan, morphs into the carrying out of the plan. Yeah. And then there's a fun undercut of that where the things that 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 are being planned don't go exactly uh, as they they should. So for instance, they're supposed to get masks. Right. Um cool masks. Uh Jake really wants as you can imagine like dead presidents or sure. you know Point clowns break. or whatever. Yeah, the mask store ran out of masks so all he can get he basically goes to an S&M shop and he gets a sex shop and he gets for everyone else, they have lacy masks. Originally, they were cat masks. They we were cat masks at first, right? Yeah, but I think then we just found lacy masks. Right. But like Raymond, sexy cat. And you have been a sexy cat before. I have. The that's, a, that's a theme. That's a theme with foil. <laughs> typecasting. <laughs> yes. I'm typecasting. He was a sexy, sexy cat often. Not just on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Go on. But you were a sexy cat. You were in the ceiling, and your tail got caught in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and the rats got to you. The rats got to me. Um, the, the cat costume is genderless. Let's remember that. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that you do in the planning of this, we we do flash forward to it, but a very fun element too is that in it, while the narrative, what's going to happen is we're while we're seeing it, uh, the vulture in that goes, hang on a second, this doesn't work. Like yeah. that's kind of a fun game too. Yeah. That's a, a you know fourth wall breaking thing. Yes. Yeah, and there's parts where where Jake realizes it's a bad idea and re. Or am I thinking of a different episode where he he's telling a story and we're seeing the flashback? He says. No, no, that wouldn't work, or that's bad, or no, no, it's that, it's that, it's that. It's that so, as I say, as you say that, I realize what you are seeing is a fantasy of the way it's supposed to go, and then when you finally see it, it immediately goes wrong, right? That's when you finally see it. They punch Jake, they take off, and then he has to. (laughs) Yes, and I just want to bring up the punch because just getting back to Ken is that Ken is also a fantastic physical comedian. uh, And the punches are great, but also just running the rehearsal and the blocking for the running. He would run far every take, even during rehearsal. (laughs) And he would also crash into the crate during rehearsal. And so- And trip every single time. And trip every single time. So the level of commitment is is admirable. But he's always been like that since I've known him. So that's why he's a great performer. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. The plot of this episode is that- um, John Kelly, the police commissioner, has had an app out there that's that's improper, right? right? Hot He's clues. hot clues. He's using stingrays. Yeah, stingray, yeah. yeah. And it it snoops on people. It's a it's a no, so elite. the app is a cover. Oh, and so the app is a thing where people can call in anonymous tips. And so what they're using, what they're doing is they're taking the anonymous tips, 
and they're they're saying, but so put that on in uh, aside for one second. But what they're what they're actually doing is they have stingrays, which are real things that snoop on people's phones that the FBI and CIA and NSA use. And what they're doing is they're wireless. They're sorry, warrantlessly tapping people's phones. Mm. Then they're taking that information and they're laundering it through the tips line. That's the story. So they're saying an anonymous tip came in. It's anonymous. You'll never figure out who did it. But they're actually calling in the tips in order to get the um, the information. It's actually kind of a smart way of doing it. If the NSA wants to pay us for it, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're game. We're game. Um, so uh, the 99 wants to put a stop to this. Uh, Kelly's not a good dude. They want to out him. And therefore, they put together this assemblage of, of their enemies. Um, I believe, is there all, is, is, Gabe also in that episode to see the at the at the morgue at the or my th- that's the at, episode before right the episode oh, it's a part one of that of yeah okay yeah Gabe Liebman uh, former oh, amazing yeah, right. writer yeah. was, is, who plays still an amazing writer yeah, yeah. <laughs> still <laughs> I got didn't it. say he that still got it. formerly I for, did I say formerly an amazing writer I think so, or formerly of the show oh okay the show yeah an amazing writer he's alive right. Yeah, he's alive. somebody called him. I think he hasn't really great. been. He hasn't really lived since he stopped writing on the show. <laughs> he visited once. Yeah. Oliver right Cox is oh, yeah. his name. Right, Kira Sedgwick yeah. as as Madeline Wunsch is so funny to watch as the foil for, for Holt because I think she's the only person or one of the few on the planet that gets Holt to be petty. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What is the process for writing insults? You know. Brown leather chair, the best. Yeah. I mean, the absolute best. <laughs> I mean, you just pitch a million jokes, and they're all kind of. They all kind of. One thing that we try to do, and I think Dan does a very good job of shepherding us away from like barrels that are the same kind of joke, mm-hmm. is not hit just like the same thing, which is they're both old. They both call each other <laughs> old a lot, and there is like a lot of exuberance in that. But we want to make sure that there's some variation to those jokes as right. well. Right, it's so fun to write. the tra- The trap is either that or just being like you six headed millipede <laughs> right. who crawled up Satan's anus and exited through his nostril, covered in lengthy his, and specific. Yeah, yeah. we found yeah. ourselves googling a lot of like obscure bugs. We yeah. we yeah, there were hours in the writers room where we were. I think where we there's a beetle joke in there. Out what was it? Coffin cave mold beetle is something yes, like yes. that. That's that was the result of at least an hour of like, <laughs> like deep oh, yeah. dive bug Google. We looked at a very long list of disgusting bugs and we just yeah. read them out loud until we found that. Yeah. I will say the depressing thing, and I know that the, that like this is on the on the old barrel, but the funniest jokes are just like when they see each other and then they're like, "Hello, Raymond, you've aged." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. funny. I would have forgotten this, but uh, they also that also sneaks into the fantasy version of how this is going to go. Yes, yes. Because yes. I think somebody goes, oh, hello, Madeline, you pile of worms. And they cut back to Peralta going, they wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah. They right. might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's a very fun game. Um, it works with the vulture as well, because we see him in the fantasy version tweezing one of Peralta's hairs as though, like, I'm going to make this go away. And in the reality version, his two best detectives behind him go, what'd you find? And it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, Because no. he thinks they're dorks. Right. He's yeah. like, they're my one, worst detective. They both wear glasses. <laughs> One's even a woman. One's even a woman yeah. is, is maybe my favorite line yeah. in all episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so funny watching, like, occasionally we will, like, watch the casting tapes, you know, in the room and trying to like cast people who could both be convincingly slobs in the fantasy version and oh. then clean up to look like oh, that's interesting. um that's his so interesting. best detectives. It was like I was like, oh, 
this is weirdly difficult. You're yeah. threading a real needle, and I don't know that the actors know that, but it's just they it's such like a like a you know they have that one or two lines. Yeah. Um. So it, yeah, it was also really tough for wardrobe because they had to make they had to find wardrobe that looked dorky when sort of put on in a certain way, but then could be cleaned up to look slightly mm. less dorky. Those are yeah. very interesting yeah. puzzles. Yeah. 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 That's the casting of it and the dressing of it. That's so funny. And of course the directing, but that was never in doubt. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see Even any without the writing props. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Marino making a fake hostage video uh, is um, having so much trouble. Oh my God. Like, for real. <laughs> and then they said, you got to stop saying like and subscribe. <laughs> that was something. He's like, how are we going to get followers? Yeah. In the room, I feel like we had like a four-page version of that at some point because yeah. we had so much fun writing that. And eventually we were like, okay, that is now like a whole five minutes of the episode. We need to cut this down. Yeah. Is there ever a question? Like, do you ever go, is he too stupid? Like, yes. I mean, yeah, but I mean, with a character yeah, like, I think, like CJ, right. like, I will say, I don't think the rest of the writer's room does. <laughs> but Dan always has eyes for like, he needs to be a, he'll be like, guys, he's a police officer. Like, <laughs> there, you're trying to make him a convincing level of stupid that you could have some kind of backstory sure. where this guy just failed upwards, <laughs> um, but is not completely brain dead. <laughs> There's also a level of performance that Ken has in many of his characters that is a bravado without brain. So mm. that kind of swagger is there which can sell getting a job and you oh of course they'd hire him yeah and then as the job goes on you're like no he really doesn't know after a series of twists uh trying to catch john kelly in the act jake is sitting in an interrogation room after wunch cj and the vulture all betray the nine nine watching jake wallow from the viewing room wunch and john kelly taunt a depressed holt who watches on in disbelief when wunch commits one more betrayal let's listen Oh, Raymond, this is sad. He's the one you think of like a son, right? Or are you closer to Santiago? Not that it matters. They're both equally going to prison. Oh, come on, Madeline. There's no need to gloat. Though it does feel good. <laughs> Gloaty, gloat, gloat. I knew I never should have trusted you. Yes, obviously not. You dumb dumb. John, yeah, I don't want to remember this. Why don't you snap a photo? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you get in there with him? Oh, what the heck not? My kids just got me a digital picture frame. All right, everybody say nine-nine. Nine-nine? Mm, Raymond, I love the scowl, but could you slump your shoulders a bit more? Remember, you're a man who just lost everything. And done. We got it, Peralta. Boom! Are they totally shocked? Is Kelly like, what just happened? What just happened? You've been had, John. You see, when you handed me your unlocked phone just now to snap that photo, I cloned it to a secure network server. When you handed once your locked phone Yeah, yeah, just... I already said that part. Sorry, I can't see or hear anything. I'll just be quiet from now on. I might chime in with a yeah here and there to stay in the mix. Great. The only way to get you to trust me is if you thought I was betraying Holt. Yeah! And now I have access to all your personal correspondence. All right! Including all Stingray authorizations. It's over, Kelly. You're done. Okay. You may have won this round, Madeline, but you're gonna live to regret it. You are both so gonna live to regret it. Joe Latrulio has exited the conversation. I was really <clears throat> awkward. Something... <laughs> Joseph, look, he's Paul, a busy guy. You've Paul made him very so, famous. Not, he's got real estate to sell in Playa Vista. Look, I know we're going to edit out what really happened, but 
Paul said some stuff and it was uncool and Joe called him on it and then he decided he had to leave. Well, I find it very difficult not to tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Is there such a thing as tripling down? I mean, you really, you went for it. Now, Joe Joe had to do uh, a fitting, a thing you as an actor, all of you as actors can probably talk about. You go to a place with strangers and take off your own clothes and then put on their clothes. They take photos of you. You repeat the process and then you leave. Stinks. You get real clear about what yeah. size you are. Yeah, they say, "Oh no, 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 that's what you think, but that's not actually what's what yeah. your body." I once had a woman at a fitting be like, ah, "Yeah, you're not a four. Oh yeah. I was like, "Okay, great. Well, I'm doing an Xfinity commercial, so <laughs> just trying to have an okay day." This episode is very. There are linear elements because it's a heist because it's a, sure. a procedural thing, right? Um, this this job requires different. Skills, uh, different and more skills than just writing for your average sitcom kind of thing, right? I mean, there are there are these yeah. procedural elements to this in addition to being a hilarious comedy. Yeah, I mean, I would say every show has its own weird set. Like there's, every show has the, you're writing for characters and you're writing jokes. And then every show has its own sort of weird, difficult thing, or not weird, but unique, difficult thing that you wouldn't expect. Uh, so for Parks and Rec, it was, writing about municipal government <laughs> and and so was constantly trying to figure out stories that for the office it might be you know it's often the the job area that is interesting i guess the good place you would say it's like learning about philosophy and for us the thing that is unique and makes it i think often gives us plot and story and and is fun but also very difficult is writing police plots and trying to make those satisfying in some way have you guys found that it's difficult? What was, was your, did you expect it? What was your take? Yeah, I think there's sometimes when you have an idea for a story and you need to build a believable police element into it. And there's also when you have a city that's as big as New York and you're covering only Brooklyn, there's some ideas that you could have for what a police story might be that actually just don't work for the show. Because they're more Central yeah. Parky or something, yeah. or because you just need to make sure that that's in the area that they are servicing as police. Interesting. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily like limit us, but you need to think about that more than I anticipated that we would. And yeah. so sometimes we'll start with a story idea that is a police story idea, um, and then sometimes, and then we'll have a funny like maybe there's an undercover world that we think it would be fun for Jake to go under uh to be in so Mm -hmm. for instance uh the bimbo we thought it'd be fun for jake to be at the university and and then after that we kind of built the the emotional story of raymond hello raymond (coughs) raymond hello raymond 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 we built that story afterwards um the but there'll be times where we'll have the emotional story first. So, for instance, those uh, the stakeout is that what it was called? The one where um, Charles and Jake spend too much time together. That we started with that premise that they spend too much time together, and then we built a like a case that would fit with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you really can build stories from either direction. It's interesting to think about uh, this many seasons in. And the Bible of the show, the the you know canon locked reality of the show. We call it the Third Testament. We don't. <laughs> Have we never been to Scully or Hitchcock's basements before with their spent mattresses? Uh, oh, uh, I think we had never been in their basement. That's kind of crazy. It's such a funny beat of like 
does anybody have a place yeah. we could shoot this? And they're like, well, I got a couple spent mat like it, it's yeah. and then oh, the yeah. the dolly in on Joel is so <laughs> creepy and scary and yeah. sinister, right? Yes. That was another thing that was like, fun to pitch on. It's like fun when you're just pitching like a list of like, okay, how can we beat this last scary basement thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. And still protect Joel's character in a way where he's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he does know, he's enter not... into it going like, I mean, I do have this. And then it sort of gets, uh, you know, like head tilty and that's yeah. really, it gets yeah. sinister. Dan, tell me more about directing this episode. Um, I mean, the tough thing with that, the tough, so we're talking about um, the, the, in the finale, there's a scene at the policeman's ball, which we shot at the old LA Times building, mm. which had a really cool, um, sort of ballroom, I think, where they would have galas, et cetera. Um, And the challenge of that and the fun of that is that Madeline, Kira, and Andre had to dance. And so it was really, I mean, in the writer's room, it was always, there are moments where you're, where when you're breaking a story, you're like, oh, this, I get this. I see this 100%. They are having a tango, you know, verbally they are they are sparring in the way that the tango dance plays out and so we're like we'll have a tango we'll have a blah 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 and then you realize um when you're actually shooting it that you only have so much time sure and so you you do what you can and i think it turned out great and we have a really wonderful um choreographer and we've actually had dance in a bunch of why are you guys laughing (laughs) (laughs) it's a tangent yeah yeah tangent in in our episode in the bimbo, there's the cold open is uh, all these handshakes. Like yeah, Bolt yeah. has these individualized handshakes with each member of the squad except for Jake, and he kind of screams at the end. And we were on set, and Andy asked us something, yeah. and we called the choreographer the handshake lady, <laughs> and then Andy was like. like- uh, she's an award-winning choreographer. Guys. And we were like, cool. This happened within our first hour on set ever. And we were like... We didn't know who she was, so we were like, the handshake lady. Like, talk to the handshake lady. Yeah. We are like, yeah, you should check in with her. <laughs> Truly, like, top of her game choreographer. So to us, she's the handshake lady. She yeah. also choreographed uh, the... the there was a dancing element in the season one finale, which is fun to look back on where they have to mix in at a, uh, they have to go undercover at a, um, at a, at a ballroom dancing competition. And there's like a crazy shot where you just, there's like a cutaway of Andre and there's a woman whose leg is on his (laughs) shoulder. And he's like, just, I mean, he, he turns out to be the best dancer of all time, but yeah, it was a fun scene to, it's a lot of moving parts. It was actually, it was the most, Probably the most challenging scene of that of that um, episode, directorially. There's another Bible element uh, that I wonder if it's ever been addressed before. It figures into this, and it's it's what that Holt only spent a brief time as a before he became a detective or became right. Yes, that uh, was a thing we uh, created for this episode, but okay. it felt very consistent with his character. Sure. And so it felt fine to retcon it or whatever that's called. What does retconning mean? Retroactive construction, construction or something. Isn't that what, that's when you add a piece of pipe late in a season to justify something as if it had been there all along. I might be using it wrong, but I think it's called retconning. A film and television series, uh, a new piece of, a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events, typically used to facilitate a dramatic plot shift. Mm, I think so. I don't know that I that that's correct usage because I don't know that we that it's shining a light on anything 
you already knew about other mm-hmm. than his his backstory i don't know retroactive continuity retroactive oh, continuity interesting. Interesting. but what is it in this it's that he only spent a little bit of time as a a month as a uniform okay right? and Something that there was some minimum requirement and therefore he is in violation of the of his of regulations and needs to finish that time so for a f- two second bit at the end of this mm. uh once sentences uh holt to uh, traffic cop duty right he mm-hmm. becomes a, a uniform patrolman with white gloves and he's out directing yes. traffic. But that's not for two seconds. That's the cliffhanger. That's the cliffhanger. Yes, right. of course. But I mean, uh, I'm think, thinking production wise for oh. what, what is a brief moment in time. You shut down what had to be a couple blocks worth of Los Angeles. Yeah. We shut down a couple of blocks, an intersection in downtown Los Angeles. We had a crane. <laughs> it was actually also a longer slightly longer bit. It originally had Jake talking to Holt on the street corner. Oh. But it Excuse me. It felt better as a, um, it felt better as a, just a cut to joke. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, nobody likes that. The actors don't <laughs> like it. Nobody likes it when we have to shut shut it. Crane shots, those big kind of shots. I, I mean, you tell me. Do you like it as an actor? I like working. Oh, that sounded so real. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, uh, I know, but of all the kinds of shots, you're you're doing very little acting. Oh, sure. And there's a lot of technical resets. There's a lot of like. Uh, you're, you have to walk 40 feet and then, but it's like, you did your walk fine, but they're like, uh, there's a, we can see something in the background. Do it again. Do okay. It, again. it was out of focus on this. Okay. Can we get a different arc? I mean, on a movie, I would imagine a shot like that might be two days or a day or oh, something Oh, it can, like uh, that. especially, yeah. Um, yes. Especially like an action movie or whatever. Yeah. You'll be teeny tiny in the distance and they're like, go back. Run again just as fast as you can nine more times. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing goes on. Um, what listeners may not know is that, like, all those cars that we see are yours, right? Those are right. stunt drivers or whatever right. um, that are resetting every time and doing rounders. Like, I mean, that's got to be dozens of cars. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Sometimes you'll walk on set. I don't know if you guys have this experience, but you walk on set and you just see it's what people don't understand. And when people visit the set, they're always shocked. There are so many people that work on a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's the crew, which is like 100 people, 180 people, I think, in total. But wow. not all of them are are there. There's a lot of people who are you know, in the production building or in the post building where the editors are or in the writer's room. And then... There are the extras. There can be a hundred extras on a shoot, and then there's transpo. I mean, it's it's just a huge operation. What was the conversation that got cut between Holt and uh, and Peralta on the street corner at the end of the episode? Was Jake giving Holt his co- a coffee? Right, he was bringing mm-hmm. Holt a coffee and saying. It was just further was setup. Just, it was just it was very similar to what 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 you saw in the bar. Yeah. It was yeah. like. Our, it was just further setup. It was just hard because, it, like, because Holt's uniform was already different. It didn't serve as a good reveal. Whereas mm-hmm. just cutting to him in the, it was like one joke for Andy, and then going to basically the same thing. That music is so funny in the end. It, was, it just—it's like one of those fun things where like we don't get to like we don't see a what an is episode it? until. Was it, it sounded that's like Sinatra. That's yeah, life. Yeah, that's life. I don't know. Yeah, isn't that's, that what it is? Right. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, it's just such a funny, uh, funny, good moment without any dialogue. Yeah, it's amazing how much uh, funny needle drop can really help a, yeah. a scene. A needle drop is a piece of known music that yeah. gets played. Kind of. I think it's as if you dropped a, a phonograph needle, a needle onto on the, the record. record. Yeah, a needle on the record. Yeah, and the drum beat. Um, so it's not just a a one off gag. That is the cliffhang. 
er mm-hmm. of this season. Yeah, and next season will start up. It's, it's the the tease of next season is that Holt is a uniformed officer, that they are all sort of his boss, and that the dynamics of the of the nine nine are completely inverted as a result. And that's kind of the fun, and we really have fun with it. I think. Fascinating. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Andre, I can't believe that we're almost done covering all of the past six seasons of show. It's truly been an honor to be your official Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast intermission and or mid-show bumper announcers and or palate cleansers co-host. They really stuck to those titles, huh? They did indeed. All right. Well, coming up, we have a panel of some of our cast and crew as they talk about the cancellation, the B99 pop culture, and what's to come in the next season. But as for Stephanie and I, we cannot thank you enough for listening to all the hard work put into this show. Yes. And please don't go away. Stay tuned. Nine-nine. Nine-nine. Moving on to our next segment, we're going to be talking about the show's reception around the world, its place in pop culture, as well as the shocking cancellation and later revival at NBC. With us to discuss all this is production coordinator Beatrice B. Shaheen, director of photography Rick Page, and Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Rosa Diaz. Stephanie, Rick, and B. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. nine. Um, first of all, B, what is a production coordinator? Uh, well, loaded question. <laughs> it's a big question, right? <laughs> we So production, the department as a whole, is sort of the hub of the show. So mm-hmm. information comes in and out and everyone kind of comes to us for everything. That's the quickest explanation that I can. That I mean, I you're sort give. of the front office, right? Like it's, yeah. I mean, of everything you handle scripts, you handle hiring crew, you handle all that stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guest cast stunt, um, basically anything that has to get done for any department. We're there to lend a helping hand and just make sure that Everything's running on schedule. And I like to say that if people actually know what I do, then I'm not doing my job well. I, I mean, then you are doing it well because I honestly don't know. What what everybody in the cast will tell you is that if you need something, call B. Don't, have you <laughs> so run it? It's the same thing with the crew. Is that it right? doesn't matter what the problem or the issue is. Yeah. Call B yeah. and B will handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she knows who to call, how to take care of it, and it's done. Mm-hmm. It's dependable, reliable, 100%. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> and you've been with the show since the very beginning. Is that right? I've done every episode except for the pilot. Okay. So. And did you come in as a production coordinator? I started as a production assistant, actually, okay. and then was very fortunate to be um, bumped up and promoted a few times, and so started as the production coordinator season four. Okay. What are the what are the PA production assistant is sort of the entry level, right? Yes, yeah. And then what are the steps in between? And then after that, you have production secretary and line producer's assistant. Um, Sometimes I did both on the show on other shows, depending on what the show's needs are. You have one of each, and then assistant production coordinator, and then production coordinator. Uh, Stephanie, you've talked about your experience auditioning for the pilot and what that was like. You never know if this will go anywhere, right? No. I mean, is, no it, is it a blur that here we are seven, eight years later and and Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine's a gigantic hit? I mean, truly, it is. It, it uh, you know, I think I knew that it was going to be a good show, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't? You know? It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. And, and in fact, for us, it really meant nothing because we ended up getting canceled. <laughs> um, so I had, I don't, I, I think... I felt really lucky to shoot the pilot because I had shot one pilot before this, um, and that hadn't gone. And and everyone 
everyone told me that when I shot that first pilot, oh, your life's going to change, everything's going to change. And then the pilot didn't go. And that was actually really lucky because I fell into a huge depression. Oh. And then when— <laughs> no, no, no further questions. You know, and then when we got—when I got Brooklyn and then when the pilot got picked up, it was like, oh, well, now I can just enjoy this because I don't have anything riding on it other than gratitude, you yeah. know? So I get to shoot— 13 episodes or whatever the first order was. I can't I remember. Was, was it 13? No. The first was 13. Yeah, and then we got it back nine. The Super Bowl episode in the back yeah. nine on the same day. Yes. This, this, right. wow. That was <laughs> a yeah. very yeah. wild day. <laughs> and I remember right like- Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Melissa Fumero burst into tears when they told us we had the back nine. And I remember like being in the very small holding room that they had all the actors in and sort of being like, well, now I can't do any emotion because- She's doing all of it. So, like, if, there, if I cry too, it's going to be a real big mess back here. We have to shoot a scene and just hold it together until you drive home. And I did. And then, you know, I've, everything since has been gift upon gift. What do you mean by back nine? They That's the last nine episodes? Tell me about that. Yeah, typically a show will start with an, uh, with an order of 13. Mm-hmm. And you hope for a 22-episode season. Mm-hmm. And so once you see – you get on the air and you see how the ratings are doing – they will often, if it's good enough, give you the back nine episodes, in which case, you know, you've got a chance to keep going and you've got more work and, you know, a better opportunity to try and really make something out of the show. So everyone on any new show, if it's if it's going to be a 22-episode order or has a chance to be, you're always hoping for that back nine. And you said in December of that year that uh, on the same day you they told you about a... Super Bowl episode and the back nine. Um, what's the meaning of a Super Bowl episode? Why is that important? That was huge. Remember, we were shooting yeah. at the hospital. Yeah. And um, they told us first about the Super Bowl episode. Yes. And um, Like just made an announcement on set? Yeah, they that. did. I don't remember. They okay. did. Um, and um, wh- what that meant to us was we were going to air, because our normal slot was not during – um, when the Super Bowl was mm-hmm. going to be airing. And they said, hey, as a special episode, it's going to air right after the Super Bowl, which is huge. Yeah. Because that meant promos during the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, everyone knows how many millions of people are watching that yeah. game. Yeah, it's a big so lead-in. So to have yeah. those promos, exactly, big lead-in. So that was great. And then on the heels of them telling us that, they told us about the back nine, and yeah. it was like, mm-hmm. all right, wrap for Christmas. This yeah. is the best <laughs> news ever. That was a great day. I mean, that's an exciting order. I mean, it's like... Christmas in December. Uh, it's an exciting order because obviously it's job security and money and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But it's also a really good sign that the network's liking what they're seeing, that they're getting good numbers or whatever, right? Well, it was yeah. excellent. And then on the heels of that was the, the Globes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. what a banner year. Yeah, that, it was, that was really special. Something yeah. else. Um, do you remember uh, where you were You were at the Globes? Yes. Uh, talk about it. What do you remember? Well, when Andy won. Yes. That was amazing the whole table sort of exploded it was very it was fun I was nervous it was the first big red carpet I'd ever done my I didn't have a stylist at the time I like picked went and picked out my dress myself at yeah. the showrooms and <laughs> it was too big and I was pulling it up the whole night and and then we were all sitting around at the table and Andy won and it was like well it can't get better than this mm-hmm. and then when we won it felt very blurry and strange and Walking up to that stage was very blurry and strange, and standing on the stage was strange. And then, then when we were then we were shuttled off into the back into the interview area, and I remember thinking like, "Oh no, I want to watch the rest of the thing," <laughs> but we won. Um, 
Hold for one second, because uh, we're experiencing a blizzard. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. often. I know. We've, we've called to get it off before. We're holding for sound. And without even looking, uh, B, perfect at her job, uh, dialed a number from heart um, and got it turned off. And even exercised the sort of uh, uh, baller move of saying, I'll stay on the phone with you until it's resolved. <laughs> um, where did you learn that, B? I mean, that's that's how it's done. I mean, that you know it's going to get done that way because people are like, yeah, I'll do it. And then they don't do it. But then if I'm on the phone with you, you like want me off the phone. Right. So I'll just turn it off. That that's makes brilliant. the most sense. Yeah. It, it just moved to the top of my list. Exactly. Because you're not going to hang up until – until it's resolved. <laughs> kind of amazing. That is so polite, too. <laughs> uh, going back now to the Golden Globes. Do you remember uh, when Andy won? Do you remember, like, the surprise? He won first, I feel like. He right? won first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> it was what all he a blur? said. I don't. I just remember him. At, I remember him at the table when they said his name. And he had this, like, look of shock. And Joanna being so excited and and all of us like screaming and him going up to the stage, but I don't remember any of what he said or anything. It was just like, look at my friend on stage. <laughs> I can remember, I don't remember the whole thing. I remember him getting up to the stage and being like legitimately nice guy, Andy Samberg, mm-hmm. like what? And then I remember him going, I'd like to thank my team. And then he yeah. was like, wait, did I just say that? <laughs> like, am I that person now? <laughs> like, um, but he he wanted to thank his team, but it's yeah. also like, Oh, I've scoffed at people doing that for right. years and years, years and years. And now I did I just do that? That's me. Yeah. That's me. And then the show won. Like mm-hmm. I I mean, that wasn't that must have been incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. It, it still feels incredible that that happened. And then, and on one hand, it's like who cares because you know, a show can win a Golden Globe and then get canceled, you sure. know? And uh, the other side of that is it does create this, like, amazing platform that people are watching that, you know, I remember when I was a kid watching those award shows and, like, we didn't get to go to the movies that much. Mm -hmm. And so when a show won, it was like, oh, that's the movie that we're going to go see. I want to see that because I want to see who won Best Actress. I want to see that performance. And And it's also a clue to television watchers, like, I've never seen that, but it must be pretty good because it won a Golden Globe. Oh, it won two. Right. Let me watch it. Let me see what it's about. To that end, too, behind the scenes of that, I mean, watching at home on Mm -hmm. TV and Mm -hmm. seeing all you guys on (laughs) stage going, oh, my God, we just won. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is amazing. And then coming into work the next morning. Yeah. And then everybody kind of relived it as you guys are kind of stumbling in. Yeah, yeah. It was like, ah, we did it. It was like, it was such... A boost in momentum, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone to to feel that yes. synergy. It yeah. really was a nice moment behind the scenes for all of us cast and crew. Yeah, for sure. You know, you know, when we're talking about this, it really does mean more to it does I does I do think it means more to the people behind the scenes. Like uh, for something like that. Well, because it's, it's like it's validating. Like yeah. the work is being out there. And and like you're saying, like who really cares? I mean, but to us, it meant so much yeah. personally yeah, in, in this professional environment. Yeah. Like our work is being seen and we're all doing this together. Yeah. So we yeah. all get to sort of share in that yeah. joy. To me, that meant more than anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was just, it was so great. It's, uh, it's gigantic. Um, and I can remember sitting on my, I think I had shot one episode at that point. I think I shot, had shot the party and I jumped up and screamed. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's thrilling to know that, as you say, something that you Contributed are a to. part of yeah, right. um, 
uh, maybe we'll get another season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there may be more work out there and that you get to come to this wonderful workplace and and uh, and make art with your friends. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of a commercial evidence of things going well, Andy having won and the show having won. Um, do you remember when you first were like, oh, I think this might be a hit. Do you remember when you first started to hear about it from from fans, from family, from people? Was it before or after it won a Golden Globe? Do you have any idea? It definitely wasn't before. Okay. Um, I feel like, um, for me, I feel like, you know, I mean, you work on any show, if, you know, if you're lucky, you get a T-shirt, you get some sort of swag. <laughs> that says the You'll show probably name. get a T-shirt. And then, and then, but even then, you're not sure if people recognize it or not. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I feel like maybe after season two, I don't know. I feel like during season two, we were starting to hear about other people noticing it. And and these guys were definitely getting more popular on social media. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of attention mm-hmm. and buzz happening. But I feel like maybe for me as a crew person, after season two, walking around with a T-shirt on, somebody would go, oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I love it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. great. You know, and you guys doing more and – I feel like it was then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe for you guys in the cast, was it different? I, I think it happened in stages for me because I, when we – a couple of us took a trip. I think it was second season to Paris. Oh, right. wow. Yeah, yeah. We all sort of were sitting around on set. Who's a couple like, of us? was Melissa Fumero and her husband, um, Joe Latrulio and his wife, uh, Chelsea Peretti and her husband, and myself and the person that I was dating at the time. And – we were sort of jokingly talking about doing it, and then it got serious, and then it got really serious, and people were buying tickets, and it was going to happen. And I thought, well, I want to do this because I don't know if we're going to have another season, and, sure. like, I don't know when this will happen again and when we'll all be together to do this thing that's, like, so fun, and we're in the middle of shooting the show, and let's do it. And so that trip, anytime there were – anytime I was with any of the other cast, they would get recognized, and, like, someone would shout at us – in French, like, noof, noof, <laughs> you know? And, like, it That's was really weird. And it did, and I say stages because I wouldn't get recognized by myself. Because I look different than Rosa. Mm-hmm. In, I, I probably look the most different. That's and, true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and, like, stature-wise and, like, how I hold myself and— Voice. Yeah, and the voice. And and then the, the second stage of it was, like, after third season when I went to visit my family in Houston and I— wore a leather jacket to the mall. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I didn't even think of it because it was like a uniform piece for me. Like everybody, you know, leather jacket. It's a neutral. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> It's an elevated it's basic. It's an elevated basic. <laughs> and I wore it to the mall and it was it was on. Like the minute that we stepped into the mall food court, my sister and I was like, she was like, you're getting made left and right. Yeah. And I was like, really? What's happening? And then I started getting asked you're for like, pictures. I, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, and so that was when it was like, oh, it's in my hometown of, you know, Webster, Texas. It's people are watching it here. And you know what's great? I mean, jump to now. I mean, just this past season. And this has been happening throughout. But, you know, if, right before we finished this season, there was a Make-A-Wish mm-hmm. um, person who come on on, the, on stage. And we were moving in from outside. We were on New York Street and we had moved in. And... I saw her see Stephanie and Melissa, and she broke down in tears. Mm. And she had been talking with Dirk and Joel, and then she saw these two, and it brought tears to the rest of us because you then realize these guys are icons mm-hmm. to people. And 
we're making our silly show and we're having fun and it's great and and we're kind of going through the years and traveling around the sun together but but when you see it affect someone like that you realize there's real magic there in what we do and and it and it it leaves a big stamp so it's really fun to see that and witness cuz i don't we're friends but i don't see what you're talking about right. all the time so when i do see that happen it's so awesome yeah it's so cool that was a cool day it she was, was great so cool and then we had her hit the, the slate <laughs> she was like, really we yeah. had her call action, she, had called action. she was a total pro she it was knew awesome. exactly what she was doing <laughs> you know, it, was awesome. it was great it was great and you loved it in, and you love to contribute to something like yes. that no, it's yeah. worth it b have you do you remember your earliest uh the wearing of swag or being out on the street or somebody asking you what you did and having them go holy cow yeah I th- it was probably early second season. And then when we had our crew, anytime like I had a crew shirt on, someone would be like, I love that show. Or just standing in line to get something to eat. And like someone will turn around and notice what I'm wearing. And then we go into this huge conversation about the show. And that's really special. I think it's really fun to work on something that people are so touched by and affected by and just love to, you know, love to relax to it or love to just step away from their day to day and take time to watch Brooklyn. This show is bigger than it, you know, needs to be. I mean, this show is is not just a police procedural sitcom. Like, these are, you know, it's a really inclusive, really diverse, uh, giant slice of humanity. And um, I, I would guess that that's what resonates with a lot of folks, wouldn't you think? Sure. I mean, yeah. I would argue that it needs to be yeah. that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I think up until this point, and even in my own career, life, the way that I I look at the work that I'm doing, I I have changed so much, so drastically since being on the show because I see the effect that television and particularly network television can have on an audience. It can make people, it can just introduce them to these very subtle ideas of, you know, is what I've already decided is right, is that actually right? Right. Do I treat everyone with respect at all times, you know, like is, is the way that I'm viewing the world, like actually how it works or is somebody else's worldview that's very different than mine? Is that something that I should think about? You know, like I I think that that's the great, the, the biggest thing that television can do. And I think we're doing it in a really like subtle, easy, fun way. What are other countries that you've heard from uh, or been recognized? You were just traveling, right? Yes, um, Colombia. That was that was special um, because there were people that recognized me and then were very confused as to why I was there. Um, and Japan, um, I did a small meet and greet with fans in Japan, and that was really special because many of them don't even speak English and they watch the show either with subtitles or dubbed. dubbed yeah, I met some of the voiceover <gasps> actors. In did you Japan. Say, didn't you tell me That's that you met cool. your, your? I met my. I met the Rosa. Person? I met That's the so Amy. That's I met so the cool. <laughs> Chelsea. Uh, Gina. Wow. Um, they came to the meet and greet and they like gave me a picture of the whole cast and like pointed who you know like a little drawing on it. I was like, this is Holt. This, That's so this cool. actor plays Holt. This actor plays. <laughs> You know, it was really that was really really special. That's um, cool. And I, and I think Canada. The first oh, time we went to Canada, Canada that was sure. that yeah. was wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, yesterday, I was out to brunch with my goddaughter, and a woman visiting from Toronto came up to me, and she's like, "This can't possibly be." <laughs> but are you Holt's boyfriend? And I said, "No, no, I'm his husband." She's like, "You got, she's like, you got married." <laughs> um, 
which is, you know, like lovely. But uh, you said people were wondering why you were in Colombia. I was just back in Buffalo f- uh, before Thanksgiving, yeah. and people were like, what are you doing here? It's like, I'm from here. And they're like, but why? Like, <laughs> it's a good place to be from. I mean, you're supposed to be on TV. Like, it's a weird thing. Uh, B, I remember when we reached out for comments for the sort of prototype for this podcast uh, that we did with Dan and Luke and Melissa uh, for fan questions. They came from everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, all over the planet. All all over the place. I mean, there's fans in every corner yeah. of the planet, <laughs> honestly. I, I remember Nigeria and uh, and Brazil like crazy. Mm-hmm. Australia, mm-hmm. New Zealand for sure. Mm-hmm. But Peru was all about it. And I mean, you know, the UK France. and Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Italy, Malaysia. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I had a Malaysian fan stop me when I was in New York. Amazing. Yeah. And he was just visiting. He was like, are you going to the precinct? I was like, no, I don't live here. We <laughs> don't shoot it here. Too. Yeah. I was with Joel over at the Americana and they and a bunch of Filipinos. Filipinos? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. People from the Philippines came People up and saw Joel. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, taking pictures with him and everything. It was wild. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, it was so cool. What do you think it is? I mean, is the international love for this show any different than it is here in North America? I mean, it definitely has a global appeal. I think at the heart of the show, it's a, you know, it's a show about a family or coworkers who are a family. And mm-hmm. I think that on no matter where you are, you can, most people can identify with that. Even yes. if like the police procedures are different in different countries, at the end of the day, I think it's about the family that is the 9-9. Yeah. That's lovely. I mean, for I me as, a, as someone who works on the show, but also as a fan of the show, I feel like it's a very smart show. Mm-hmm. It's so inclusive. It's so diverse, and and the writers and the producers and the cast, you guys work really hard at making sure that mm-hmm. everyone is included. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why it's popular. To mm-hmm. me, it feels like it reaches everybody. Wouldn't you agree that uh, part of the appeal is that it's such a memeable show, that there are repeatable <laughs> sayings, and you know what I mean? Like, that, that sort of transcends yes. language. Yes, right? definitely. Yes, the comedy is good. It's good comedy. Yeah. Um, um, it's not, and to, to follow up on what Rick just said, it's smart. It's not, it's not, you know, there are some fart jokes, not very many, but sure. there are, there's some mumps, there's some poking of mumps, but also it's just, it's really funny. And mm-hmm. I think that that, that, that hand in hand with meme culture is, it's a perfect little marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what memes come to mind? Um, I mean, the way it's shot makes good memes too. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah, yeah. it I mean, is. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, our show has had a number of episodes with sweet moments of of big life issues, mm-hmm. um, and and yet you know they they're still a, they're still able to interweave the comedy because that's what we are. But I think having both of those aspects is what makes it so appealing. It's what makes it so relatable yeah. to everyone. Yeah, you know, because life isn't full of drama all the time. And if we can stop and laugh, I think we're all better off. For sure. It, I realize that the show itself creates its own inside jokes, its own language kind of thing. <laughs> um, I've had people talk to me in public in code um, and say like, noise or toit. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, I get screamed 9-9 at uh, from time to time. I was shooting in Vancouver not long ago and would be walking down the street and I would just hear, 9-9. That, <laughs> sometimes certain, like, that is him, I'm sure of it, 9-9. Nine, nine. And sometimes like, 9-9? Nine, nine? Like, yeah. Is it and you? And I turn and they'd be like, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 I should have been wearing swag. That's what that is. And then they would have known for sure. The funny thing about the 9-9, nine, nine, do you remember? That used to just be internal. 
because that was Terry. It, that was Terry come yelling. On to, come onto the stage and and he'd pump everybody up. Is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. That was it. It, it. And then I think they wrote it in. They started mm-hmm. to write it in, and mm-hmm. then it became. But that used to just be sort of our own little. I say it to fans now, people that stop me in airports and restaurants. Um, we'll talk, and I will often say, "What do you watch?" And a lot of the time, it's Brooklyn Nine Nine. And when we take photos or whatever, and when we're saying goodbye, I always say nine nine, and they're like, "Wait, I get to say it nine nine. Oh, like, oh, that's cute. I'm gonna yeah. steal that. Oh, do it. <laughs> that's really people nice. love it. Okay. Um, and I, I was given that gift. I was sitting on a plane once, and a woman was boarding, and she walked past me, and she leaned down, and she went nine nine, <laughs> and it felt like we were spies, and it that's was great. So cute. And I was like, oh, I should say nine nine to people. That's that's really that's our secret good, handshake. Yeah, well, and yeah. it's a good luck number. Like I go to the gym, locker nine nine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I always try to seek it out because yeah. I feel like that's our that's our good luck. It was my spin name for a while yeah. at my spin studio. It was B nine nine, but my name my nickname B nine nine. Excellent. That is great. Um, what do you remember from the twenty seven hours of not great time? when Fox canceled the show before NBC uh, picked it up, um, in terms of the social media, in terms of pop culture, in terms of the outcry? For me, um, uh, Joel Atrulio called me. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was in my car, and he's like, but I got to tell you something. It, it's about the break, but I wanted to let you know first. And That's sweet of him. I, I, was, I had to pull over. I was shocked yeah. because – all of us were sort of nervous mm-hmm. and then we were on the bubble, but but to just get outright canceled and not have any way of wrapping it up mm-hmm. and not having any chance of just even saying, it's been great, goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it felt like the rug had literally been pulled out from underneath. Because you were done shooting, like you had wrapped we were done already. Shooting, we and and so I had to pull over and, and I was I was shocked and he's like, It's gonna hit the it'll hit the news, you know, but and you know. I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, oh my God, it was horrible, you know? And then I remember for me, once it hit the news, I started monitoring Twitter and I wanted so desperately to reach out to everybody, but it didn't quite, you know, you have to be sensitive about these things. You can't say what you, you there is privileged information. You can't say certain things. Sure. We didn't know anything, but I would also like to work again someday. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) it's like you could, when the surge started happening about, well, is there a way to save it? And and what about other networks? And, And it was like, I was monitoring and watching it for hours on end, you know, because it was so exciting to see the fan base. And it was like, maybe, is there a chance? Is there a hope here? Yeah. So from my point of view, not really knowing any information, just seeing what was happening. It was like, everyone can hear you guys. Just keep going. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's about all I could say. And it was really gratifying to see everyone, yeah. you know, coming to the occasion. But then after like the second day and it was like, well, that's it. You know, we've been passed over and it's, I, I shut the computer down. Because I think we had gotten word that like Hulu was a no or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if that was just me talking to Andy or what, but like, it was like certainly Hulu, certainly Netflix, and it was like no, they passed. No, they passed. Like, yeah. Yeah. it was heartbreaking. And 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 you know, as a crew person, it's like, well, okay, you're gonna try to reach out to your network, and you're gonna try to find another job, another show. But we do. It's been said by everyone across the board so many times over. We all really enjoy working with one another. Yeah. So that was the heartbreak. It was like, mm-hmm. I, but I want to work with this group. Yeah. I want to keep doing things with these people. And so for it to go away like that. It's like, well, all right, this sucks. Now I got to try to find another job. I got to find another show. And I guess that's that. And so I had shut the computer down. I turned my phone off. I was pissed. I said to my wife, I go, that's it. I'm done. My eyes were 
bleeding from reading Twitter for hours <laughs> on end. And the next morning, my wife's phone started ringing. And it was Joel McKinnon Miller. And she goes, why is Joel calling my phone? And I go, how did he get this I go, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, how did he get your number? <laughs> but I, I said, oh, poor Joel. I said, I'm sure he's worried because I had texted him and said, that's it, I'm done. And I, oh. and I shot off my phone. Oh my gosh. So I, I worried the poor guy. <laughs> I answered and I go, Joel. And he goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm sleeping. He goes, Turn on the news. We've been picked up. <laughs> I missed the whole thing. I had been monitoring the whole time we got canceled. And I missed the big, because I had shut it off like literally 20 minutes That's before so the big funny. announcement. That's amazing. So, yeah. But it was great. It was like, all right. It was, it was, it was so, it was so wild. Yeah, it was, it was wild. wild. Did you have inside information B as the hub of all, uh, all uh, info, informatics that go through here? I didn't. Um, I wish, <laughs> I wish yeah. I had that inside information. No, I was, I was getting coffee with someone and my phone just kept buzzing, but I couldn't see because it, it was turned over. And I was like, it's just people saying congrats, like for another season. And then I look at the I look at my phone and then I sort of forgot what happened after that. I just remember saying bye to the person, calling my parents and crying as I'm walking back to the apartment. Really? <laughs> Called my boyfriend, cried, <laughs> cried to him. And then for like whatever that was, 27 hours, just, Something like that. it was a huge blur. Like I, and, but then it was amazing to see the fan response. And wonderful. I had written this huge Instagram post about yeah. how meaningful the show was to me and how all of my friends here, how it was just an unforgettable experience. And no matter what happened, it would be, you know, forever in my heart. And then when we got picked up again, I, it was the same sort of reaction that I had when we had won the Golden Globes in season one. So I feel like everyone in the apartment complex was like, oh, someone just let out a snake in this woman's apartment. <laughs> I was like going crazy. <laughs> but it was, it was amazing. It was a great feeling when we got picked up again, but those 40 hours were bleak. Yeah, again, <laughs> again, it was really validating, just like in season one when we got all those, you know, we got the awards and the pickup for the back nine in the Super Bowl, but on a bigger level, because it was like NBC believes in us. Yeah. The fans believe mm -hmm. in us worldwide. We actually have a legit place in the world here. What we're doing matters. Mm -hmm. And it was just so great. And then it was so wonderful. Remember coming back and seeing everybody again in July. It was yeah. like, mm -hmm. what a reunion. That was amazing. It was, it was just so great. I mean, Stephanie, do you get a call from your agents and managers? Do you get a call from Andy or from Dan Gore? We How, got an email. You got an email. Dan Gore. Um, all of us had been in, in, you know, we have a WhatsApp group where we're all texting each other and stuff. And to me, as it got closer and closer to May, I kind of was like, it was May. They kept us on the bubble right. really long. Yeah, right to the, right the, the very end. To the it end. Was right, it was, you guys like left a day before the, the upfronts. It was like right to the end. Yeah. Remember, mm -hmm. you guys all of a sudden got on a plane to yes. go to New York. Yes. The upfronts, was, parenthetically, are a time in New York when uh, networks announce their fall slate kind of thing, mm -hmm. what their schedule is going to mm -hmm. look like. So mm -hmm. that's when they decide which shows are going and which aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was as we got as we got into April, I started feeling like, all right, steady yourself for the cancellation. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I <laughs> Melissa makes fun of me a lot because I'm always like, well, this is it. This is the last year. <laughs> Um, and I've been doing that since season three. I mean, because I'm like I'm I I'm understanding that this is a very fickle business. Even if things are good, sometimes things can go away. And so, as soon as April hit, I was talking to Brad a lot and saying, um, my husband Brad, I'm just like, we're gonna get canceled. It's gonna happen. We're gonna get canceled. It's too late in the game. It's very late in the season. We're gonna get canceled. We're gonna get canceled. And then when it actually happened, I didn't have an emotional reaction at all. I was like, really? yeah, okay, it happened. Wow. And I was sad, but I didn't cry. I was like, all right. And then 
you know, we got that email from Dan. It was like, maybe there's a, a possibility between all us all. We were like, maybe there's a Hulu possibility. And Andy was like, I'll keep you guys posted. As soon as I know something, you'll know something. Um, and I remember going on my like patio, my apartment patio and talking to my agents and trying to come up with like a plan for the next move and the next, what's going to be, what's going to happen now. And, and then Brad and I went to go get hot chicken and beer <laughs> and I drank a lot of beer. <laughs> As opposed to cold chicken. You know, like, like spicy chicken, like oh, fried oh, hot yeah. chicken. Oh, yeah. Um, we walked to a place in our neighborhood and, uh. And I drank a lot of beer <laughs> and and then and only then I started kind of like looking at Twitter. And that's when the sort of wave of validation came because it was like – and then we were all texting each other too. Like we did something. We, no matter what, we did something. We did something that's bigger than just a, you know, a sitcom. We did – we affected people in this really strong way. Look how – look how devastated they yeah. seem to be because we're not going to be on TV anymore. And like that – that was that to me was bigger than any award that I could ever ever get. Not saying that I don't want awards, but <laughs> um, but it did feel like you did something, you know. Like yeah. you don't have a job anymore, but you really put something in the world. And like before, I was ever on TV. I was just doing theater, and it was like sometimes I would run into people that had seen the play afterwards, and they would recognize me and tell me their emotional reaction to the thing that I had done. And like, that was enough validation for me then, you know? And so that felt like a back to my roots, sort of like, this is the, this is the reason that you're doing this, you know, like for people to respond in this strong way, I'm getting emotional talking about it. Yeah. And like, and still I was like, sort of like a little bit dead behind the eyes, Brad said. (laughs) And um, some of that was beer. Some of it was the beer, and then <laughs> and then someone in the email chain or the text chain, and I can't remember who it was, said like the worst part of this is the thing that you said, Rick. Was like I'm not gonna see my friends anymore, and that's when I lost it. I was like, Bleh! like just cried and cried and cried because it was true. I was like, by that point, we had become such a strong ensemble, like not just the actors but the crew as well, oh, yeah. and the teamwork that it takes to, you know, create those seamless comedy moments was no longer going to exist. It could exist in another way with another group of people, but the synergy would not be what we had grown it to become. And mm-hmm. that w- that felt really painful and, and horrible. Things do end. There will be a time when Brooklyn Nine-Nine is no longer making new episodes. Years from now, how do you think, how do you want the show to be remembered? Fondly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very fondly. In the way that I, you know... Sometimes at night when I'm – I need like a palate cleanse from all the garbage that's happening in the world. Um, I turn to Brad, my husband, and I'll, I'll be like, do you want to p- just put on a couple of episodes of Seinfeld? Mm. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and like it's so joyful to me to watch that show and it it makes me go back to a time when I was watching it live, or, you know, like when it was airing and, and then also when it was in syndication. and. Yeah. And it's like it makes me feel comforted and it makes me feel happy because like now I know the jokes are coming. I know exactly sure. where they are and yet I anticipate and can't wait for them to land. And I hope that our show I, – I would love even just like a little part of that would be incredible because I know how it makes me feel. So if I could give that – if I had a hand in, in giving that to somebody else, that's that feels good. Yeah, same. I mean for me it's like it's 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 if it can be – viewed like a Seinfeld, mm-hmm. you know, That'd like a amazing. Big Bang Theory, you know, like like something that is groundbreaking. You mm-hmm. know, I like to think that 
our show is groundbreaking and I would hope that that's how it would be remembered. Like they, those people came together and did that show at a time when the world needed it the most. And then they had such a positive impact in television. I'd love to like, you know, those wonderful CNN documentaries, the sixties, the seventies, eighties and nineties. Like I would love to look back and have the, and see a a segment on what Brooklyn nine, nine did and what a positive impact it was. And, And to know that I was part of that and, had my hand in helping, you know, with an immense amount of talented artisans to to shape what it is. You know, family will continue on, maybe not as cohesive a, of a group working on the same thing. Uh, the the memory I'm having right at the moment was um, I shot a pilot off of, uh, I was a guest in a pilot this past year. And one of our one of our camera operators, Phil, was there, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, the, today's gonna be yeah. fun." Yeah, like I saw Phil, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and and we'll all have that forever. Yeah, yeah. those tendrils. We'll, we'll run into each other, you know. And but that's part of the thing that we've all signed up for. That's the hard part about this business. Yeah. yeah. Goodbye forever. Until you the know. next time. Yeah. Right. Until the next <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Stephanie, this may not fit, uh, and don't answer it if you don't feel like it. You talked. Uh, at the beginning about having booked a pilot that didn't go mm-hmm. and people telling you like, oh, this is going to change your life. Everything's mm-hmm. going to change. It's mansions and Benzes from here on out. Give <laughs> <laughs> an to your friends and it feels stupendous. All the glitzy I can remember walking onto the lot here at CBS Radford, I think in season two and you were pulling off and we stopped and said hi and I think it was season two and I think you were still driving an older dented car. Oh yeah, my Honda, my old Honda Civic. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you not buy a stretch Mercedes limousine the moment that Brooklyn Nine Nine got picked <laughs> because up? Because she squirrels that money away, honey. Does she? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I spent so long. You know, I grew up. My my parents worked very hard, but we were not. You know, we didn't have a lot of extra money. Mm-hmm. And then when I became an actor, I was a theater actor first, and so I just didn't ever have money. Yeah. And so. The first thing, I remember a friend telling me she'd booked some big movie and spent her whole paycheck on like a fancy car, thinking that everything was going to be great after that. This is better it, from here on out. Right. <laughs> and of course we all want that, but it's not always what happens. So I felt at any minute this could all go away. So save your money. And you know, one of the first things I remember doing was getting a financial advisor and starting a SEP IRA and a 401k and like all this stuff that like I didn't know anything about at the time because because I didn't come from a family with a history of, you know, a ton of financial um, freedom, I guess, I didn't learn that stuff as a kid. And so now here I was learning it as a as an adult, a full adult. Um, I remember my financial planner being like, so what What do you, how do you want to, you know, what's your wedding going to be like? And I was like, I ain't even with anybody right now. Like, why are you asking me about a wedding? He was like, well, what do you want it to be? In your dream of dreams, like, what is it? And is I was like. Is that how you talk to him? Did, yeah, kind of. Voice? I was like, I don't even know anybody. I'm not dating anybody. He's a cool, he's like a cool guy. He's like, he's very chill. He was like, well, you know, what do you, what are you, what's your big dream? Like, what would it be in your, in your imagination? And I was like, oh, well, it'd be like this and this and this. And, and I'd have a bunch of food trucks and. And and I don't want anybody to have to pay for anything. I don't want to have to have my bridesmaids paying for and like it was the I, best wedding ever. It was yeah. so fun, right? Yeah, but like so he good. made me save all the money. I I had all the money saved for my wedding before I even met my partner. That's the American dream, right? Yeah. And I mean, like that's the human dream. But it's well, because I didn't. How smart of you to, to be responsible? Because I yeah. could buy a fancy yeah. new car. Because yeah, right. I didn't. Because I drove that Honda, and everyone made fun of me. And I drove that Honda until season four when did I did you got, really. Yeah, and then I did a commercial for a car company 
And then I, I drove the free car they gave me for a year. <laughs> and then I finally like started paying for a car, I think last year. And I was like, I, I was very, I'm uh, very, um, what's the word? Smart. Fr- yeah, frugal. That's smart. Frugal. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not anymore. Thank you for answering that. That's very cool. <laughs> Is there anything else that we're missing? Any final thoughts on the impact of the show? I mean, for me as an audience member, and I know I've told Steph and Melissa this, like as a Latina, it's so nice to see two very different Latinas on television, which is something that I hadn't seen before as on network television. So, I mean, even now to watching them both direct, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, we're, we're doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're doing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I will piggyback on that and say, like, I too hadn't seen anything like that. And I, you know— I want to see more of it. Um, I want to see more of it for all people. I want everyone to feel like they're represented on TV. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Um, and I think it's important not only for the people who are seeing themselves, but it's also important for maybe the people that have always seen themselves and never thought about it because I think that's the real issue. It's like yeah. if you have decided one kind of person is the hero, then there's no room for anybody else to be the hero, and then everyone else becomes disposable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the worst That's the worst version that humanity can be is when others in, that are human beings are disposable. And I think, you know, in a small way, the show does a really good job of reminding us that nobody is disposable. Well said. Thanks. Top that, Rick Page. Um, (laughs) Top that, Rick Page underscore. uh, Yeah. Uh, Nine, nine. Uh, (laughs) No, that's excellent. I mean, there's a a line that Andy has at the end of the box uh, when he, when Jake and Holt are outside of the precinct and um, uh, Holt leaves and, and, and Jake says something like, God, I love this job. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, I remember shooting that and tearing up going, oh, my God, this is like the best because <laughs> yeah. it's so true. It's yeah. like we all do. I mean, we have our we have our days, but the majority of them are are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Be Rick and Stephanie. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. 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 What an episode. Ah, uh, Joel, I hate this part. What part? The end credits. It means the show's over. It's not over. It's only just begun. Really? No, not really. It's the end. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast, is hosted by Mark Evan Jackson. Produced by Grant Rutter. Edited and produced by Trey Booty. Written by Bo Rollins. With coordinating producer Beatrice Chaheen. Do you want to say it? Say what? The ending. Oh, right. Nine-Nine. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody.